Hello, and welcome everyone to another episode of Silver Screen Anomalies. My name is Skyler, and joining me today, I have Andrew Hunter Scully. So if you're wondering why this is a bit of a different and weirder setup and missing one vital ingredient, uh, it's because Hallie is out on assignment. It's weird saying that, but yeah, she's uh, she, she uh, decided to uh, take a week. Um, she's got some stuff going on, and... Uh, in lieu of her absence, we have our North of Normal companion, Andrew, with us to uh, have a little bit of a uh, different episode this week. Yeah, no, th this is a great opportunity. We were hanging out last week and it came out that you guys weren't able to record and I just kind of volunteered my services. I just said, you know, if you want to keep the episodes coming out, you're not like North of Normal that we tend to have a big backlog that we can like sift through because of the way that we record. Uh, yes. I just offered the services and on the way home we were kind of spitballing ideas of what we could do uh you know maybe cover a director that you normally wouldn't with Hallie because you know Hallie doesn't like them or hasn't seen the films and then we well we came across a really great idea and then yeah. we both got super excited to record it so this will be a different episode for you guys uh yeah it was actually kind of perfect timing because uh we really did need uh I guess a bit of consistency and I guess this is a little bit of a, a, a workflow or a glimpse into the workflow of the show is that uh, Hallie and I also do a bunch of other stuff uh, for Eldridge on top of the podcast so we don't have much luxury to bank a bunch of episodes and it's something that we've uh, we're hoping to try and work on in the future but regardless we needed something uh, for this week and we are a little bit behind uh, and this just lined up perfectly and I'm actually really excited to kind of like barrel into a totally different discussion here yeah but i mean for me this is an opportunity again like when i was on for the best of 2020 episode just to talk about something different yeah you know in different experiences and weirdly like i'm kind of taken back to uh sort of the gestation periods of both of our shows and i know you had eldritch getting that off the ground with hallie but i remember us at my old place and we would like stay up late you know talking about movies going over stuff and on that weird island that I had in that apartment. And that's when we started talking like, man, we should record these conversations. Yeah. And that's kind of like, for me at least, the gestation of like the idea of doing a show, I think was kind of birthed in those sort of kitchen conversations that we had where it really started to, it really started to like root in our brains that maybe we had something to say and maybe something should be recorded for posterity. Yeah. Not patting ourselves on the back, but... That's kind of where it came from, yeah. though. That is very much the birth of this. And weirdly enough, that's similar to Hallie and myself, where we started doing these coffee hangouts and discussing movies. And we were like, we should really record these. And then, so it's funny when you have that spark with another person and you just have that conversational ability to just like spitball off of each other. And like as a group, I think we collectively have that. And, uh, I mean, this couldn't come at a better time just because Silver Screen Anomalies has already gone through a bit of an evolution with the thematic changes to the structure of the show. So we, uh, we were already leaning in a bit more of a discussion-based, uh, theme-based show anyway. So without any further ado, uh, as weird as it was to do that intro, I had never done that. That was very strange. <laughs> we, we both kind of realized last second that Hallie wasn't here to do the intro. I was like, oh shit, I got to do the intro. Now. And I just want to clarify, I... I Realize it probably sounds like I was really patting myself on the back. You hit the nail on the head. It's not like, oh, I know a lot about movies and I need to share about share it with the world. It's the conversations. Yeah. And sort of the sharing of ideas and the enthusiasm that you can get when you meet, as you said, the right person. Yeah. You know, that you can just sound off of and just kind of let the cinematic conversation go into weird places. So 
I, I think we're going to do that here. So I think so we're beating too. around the bush, Skyler. What are we talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what better way to have a discussion about cinema and film and learn a little bit about each other, which is very much what this episode is going to be leaning into, than to discuss the topic of the theatrical experience, uh, which for those of you that don't remember what theaters are, because <laughs> uh, thanks to uh, 2020, theaters are uh, slowly but surely... Uh, going by way of nostalgia, uh, we thought this was a great opportunity to actually discuss our own personal experiences with movie theaters and how important they were as a vessel for distributing this this art form, this medium. So I'm actually going to open the floor up to you first, Hunter, and maybe you can kind of speak a little more to the theatrical experience and maybe like what's going to happen going forward into the future here. That's an interesting question. Uh we're both people that have... I mean, I refer to certain theaters that I adore as churches. Uh, you know, these are places where we literally go, not even just to worship film, but just like art and that experience. Uh, as, you know, yeah, not having the theatrical experience is something that, you know, you don't realize that you take take it for granted. Like, yeah, you know, we're able to stream and find other ways to watch the movies, but, you know, like... I miss going out and seeing a movie than, you know, going out and grabbing a beer afterwards. You know, that that to me was a large part of it. You know, I realize looking back at it now, you know, some of the blockbusters that, you know, I saw with various people over the last few years, the movies were fine, but I had a blast because, you know, you went out for dinner and then afterwards you're grabbing drinks and you're talking about it. And I agree. You know, that sort of communal aspect of it. And as much as we try to, you know, replace that, you know, watching movies over Skype and stuff like that, which can be fun, mm -hmm. there's something a little bit different. And... It's weirdly the after conversations that I miss the most. I agree. With those. 100%. Like, it's the experience of going to the movie theater, it transcends the movie itself. I've always kind of said that. It's, for me, it felt like a second home. I like the, the, the terminology you're using. I like that you equate them to churches because they do feel like this safe space, this sort of like this quiet Zen space. And it's also a place that I would retreat to when I was going through various stages of my life, which I'm actually going to cover in this episode. It's just like, I, I found myself more often than not retreating to the movie theater to help myself learn more about myself or get through various stages of life, whether it be uh, good or bad. Well, it's spoiler for a future North or normal episode potentially, but like, you know, you got around to watching Psycho Gorman. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, a movie that we both have high opinions of and I hope to record a North and Normal episode of. It was great to show up at your place and talk about it. Imagine if we saw that in the theater and went for a beer afterwards. Oh, Jesus. Like, that would have been a completely <laughs> different conversation. Yeah, spoilers on uh, our Psycho Gorman episode. We fucking love that movie. <laughs> um, so do you want to... Speaking of these experiences, like, do you want to start getting into these? Yeah, let's start getting into these. So like I uh, like I mentioned, I think I want to open the floor up to you. You're, you're the guest today, and uh, I think that it's going to be really interesting viewing our very different experiences because I have a very... I guarantee you, I have a very different uh, theatrical going uh, lifetime experience than you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, I mean, basically the environments that we grew up. Absolutely. And I think that's going to be tackled a lot. I grew up in a very metropolitan area where I had access to a lot of films. Uh, and that's going to bear on this list here, whereas we, we've talked about this so many times about our individual relationships with film. And we tackled this in the Ginger Snaps episode that you were on. Yeah, but... You know, your access to cinema was basically very, a convenience store. It was very limited. Yeah. I, uh, I actually didn't have a theater at all. So my theatrical going experience was actually cut 
short growing up and was uh, it was very much like if I got to a movie it was like a big deal for me and yeah. I think that that actually played a role into my love for cinema and going to the movies when I eventually gained access to these things more readily yeah um, I was addicted essentially it's like it, it's the same thing that happened with like fast food when you don't have fast food around and you eventually get to the point where you're like oh there's a McDonald's down the road like you you go there like you've never seen it before in your yeah. life you know what I mean so uh yeah. Anyway, uh, why don't you uh, why don't you kick things off and uh, we we uh, you can do this in chronological order if you want. I, I think for me it makes the most sense for me to go through my experiences chronologically because sure this is an episode that if you do the math I cannot avoid people knowing my age. <laughs> I just recently had a birthday. I'm very self conscious about how old I am getting. Uh, yeah, because my first pick we got to take a time machine back to 1983. This is the first movie that i remember seeing in the theater like i know my parents had taken me to movies before this point but this is the first one that i clearly remember seeing and that was when my older cousin who i thought was the coolest guy on the face of the planet he introduced me to like cool music yep i was 10 when he introduced me to public enemy you know like one of those figures that you have in your life and i realize now that you know he was probably like 13 but he seemed older and cooler and he took me to see return of the jedi Right, yeah, of and course. I clearly remember going to the Norwood Theater in Bracebridge, Ontario. Small town theater. If, if it seats more than 70 people, I would be surprised. Yeah. Uh, but it's the first movie that I clearly remember being a big deal. Yeah. Like, everybody there was super excited for it. I don't even know if I'd seen a Star Wars movie in its entirety beforehand. Because I would have been six or seven. And I have... I don't remember a lot about my childhood, but it speaks volumes that I remember going with my cousin Eric to see Return of the Jedi in the theater. And just everybody there being like excited for it. I think it had to have been opening night. And I know this because I remember being dropped back off at the family cottage. Yep. Because we were staying up north at the family cottage there. And uh, my parents had sent me to bed, but it's an old style like cabin, right? So the bedrooms are like immediately off the side of the main room. And I remember they were watching uh, The National and then The Journal, which would air afterwards, which would have more like movie reviews and in-depth stuff on the CBC. It was like one of the few channels that we got. And uh, the film critic, David Gilmore, yep. who I quite like, he, he can come across as kind of a pompous ass sometimes, but like I, I do like a lot of his stuff. He wrote a really great book called The Film Club, which is about his relationship with his son and them watching movies together, which is really cool. Weird side tangent. But... I remember clearly hearing that they're going to talk about Return of the Jedi. So we, we I, it had to have been opening night. Uh, and I remember sneaking over and peering out and watching David Gilmore review Return of the Jedi. He was not favorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, basically being always another cookie cutter blockbuster, blah, blah, blah. Because, right. of course, it was just another Star Wars movie back then. It wasn't the big glut of yeah. a machine. You know, it was just, oh, they made another Star Wars movie. And uh, so weirdly, it was also my introduction to film criticism. Oh, because that was like the first time that I'm like, I'm like six or seven. I'm like, there are opinions. They're not just like good movies and bad movies. Yeah. Like I could really like something. And then this like growing man can be like, yeah, it's, it's boring fluff. Right. So right. that's the other weird thing that Return of the Jedi and that viewing experience had for me was at a very early age, getting a sense of film criticism. That's really cool. So opinionated movie guy hunter has his seeds that night after seeing Return of the Jedi and seeing David Gilmore basically take a bad pass at it. That's really interesting. Um, I never thought about viewing the theatrical going experience as a 
seed planting like the birth of basically film criticism in one's brain i never even thought about that well and i think that's why like i remember being like nine or ten and happily watching like siskel and ebert yeah yeah when they would be like on in the afternoon like i just film criticism was something that i gravitated to very early on you know i was like 11 or 12 and i was buying like movie review magazines yeah so something took root very early on and i can narrow it down and i never really thought about it before but it's 1983 seeing return of the jedi so that's my first one sweet um my first one it's very strange that you opened with that and again i should actually just i have to preface this with the audience we have no idea what what each other picked no for the record um this like, is... it might probably surprise you because i'm not a star wars guy uh, no i was I, i'm shocked actually but I, you can't you... ignore what influences you whether or not of course. you like what something becomes later like it, it's there that's you know, right it's part of my dna so like i had mentioned I came from uh, a background living in a very small town, uh, Canso, Nova Scotia, and we did not have a movie theater. And if we wanted to go see a movie, we either had to travel to Antigonish, which housed one cinema screen, or go How all... far of a drive would that be? An hour and a half. Yeah, that's what I figured. And then the other alternative was, of course, coming to Halifax, where I live currently, uh, which has obviously, like, I think four major theaters or three or four or something like that um we have dartmouth crossing the scotiabank center in bears lake we have park lane downtown and we once had the oxford theater um rest in peace um that was my cinematic church i i no longer have a local church right you know i i it was for me too because the oxford I, i mean i don't think any of my specific ones experiences go to the oxford cinema but that is one of the handful of theaters i would have considered a church in i life. actually wrote down to make it a segment because it was such an important theater to yeah. me um but my first pick actually uh ties in a little bit with yours and it's telling of again the differences in, in the gaps of time between us uh my first theater going experience i either liken to one of two things and i i more often than not lean to the second one uh I went on a class field trip when I was, I think, seven or eight and saw T-Rex Back to the Cretaceous, which was a, no one knows what this is. It was like less than an hour long. And it was one of those, like, when 3D movies started to try and be a thing and they would make like little miniaturized 3D experiences in movies. It like, was. I remember those at like museums and stuff. Yeah. You go to like the ROM and there would be like some sort of. I went to a movie theater and saw this with my class. And I don't remember a goddamn thing about it. There was a T Rex in it. That was it. And that was kind of post Jurassic Park and stuff like that. But my actual big budget theater going experience, my first, I have to thank my aunt and uncle for, um, who I also thank for getting me into Star Wars, weirdly enough. I. I you can't I, escape Star Wars. No. Man. I often credit. Um, my my aunt Annette for being the re- totally responsible for me getting into Indiana Jones and uh, and Star Wars because she actually gave me her uh, original VHS copies of the movies the trilogy packs that you would get and I just wore those out completely mm-hmm. um, I don't even know if we still have them because I'm pretty sure that they're we just wore them out but my first theater going experience was weirdly enough the Phantom Menace um, so I was okay. I was ten uh, when the Phantom Menace came out. And, like actually nine white dudes of a certain yeah. age category basically between my age and your age remember where they were when they saw the phantom menace <laughs> yeah and like i remember the experience so vividly because they my aunt and uncle loved it and they were amping it up so high and oh my like, god I, we're two white dudes in our first movies are star wars I movies. Know, oh, i know right <laughs> yeah sorry everyone but like basically i don't remember 
most of the movie i remember the pod racing and i remember the duel of fates and how much impact that had on me i don't remember most of the movie i basically remember those two things too yeah and weirdly enough the duel of fates was ruined for me this was my first experience to spoiler culture because i was playing the pod racing arcade game in the cinema itself with my aunt and uncle and some kid came up who had the he i think he had just gone out and seen the movie twice and he just came up and was watching me play pod racing and he spoiled that uh, the ending with Darth Maul and <laughs> getting cut in half. And my aunt and uncle like were trying to like shush him away and stuff like that because he he was uh, he was spoiling something for me. And I don't remember being upset How old about. How you have been? I was about nine or ten. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that and that checks out. Yeah, I think I was because ninety nine that movie came out. Yeah, I was ten years old. Um. So there you go. That kind of puts that into a place and. Even though I don't distinctly remember uh, much about the movie, I remember really liking it and it being uh, obviously a big point of discussion in uh, schoolhouse conversations and things like that. And my, weirdly enough, the uh, the criticism that revolved around that movie yeah. was completely blinded by me. And I don't know if that was because I wasn't quite, my brain, like I hadn't been quite opened up to film criticism yet. I ignored reviews. I didn't look at any of that stuff. So I had no idea if it was a good or bad movie or not until much later when um i obviously started to develop as a, a film goer and started to develop my own opinions and then obviously rotten tomatoes and uh siskel and ebert i also like it was ebert and roper by the time yeah. i got into movie reviews and stuff um, you miss a golden age man those two could go at it well weirdly enough i actually went back and to the archives and watched a bunch of their episodes and man there's some good shit in there yeah but um they have some like legendary reviews their fight over brain candy that i had to watch for yeah. it's going to be the next north the normal episode it's kids in the hall brain candy oh that's fantastic and uh yeah i unearthed that them fighting over brain candy yeah uh which is them just like slagging off each other basically open on air it's brilliant yeah, yeah. For, but for any lack of better way of putting it and for dragging the conversation of star wars out any further there was the phantom menace for me and i vividly remember the excitement level I had going to that movie and even though I didn't obviously get a lot I think it speaks a lot of volumes to the movie itself that like as a kid I don't remember any of the boring council room scenes and of all course. that other shit but I do remember the big stuff and feeling very excited about that and being I guess exposed to spoiler culture while playing an arcade game which is kind of interesting uh, so that was it it was and it was a, I think I was more at that age I was just more excited that I was going to a movie theater yeah Right, because I didn't have that. Ex I I wasn't exposed to that as much. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Can we put a moratorium on any Star Wars conversations after this point? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Star Wars is out of the way. We're yeah. white dudes. We got the Star Wars conversation <laughs> done. Thank God. Yeah, that's over with. <sighs> okay. Uh, so we're going to go forward a few years. Uh, just you bringing up the Oxford. I just want to bring up one venue that uh, was very instrumental for me growing up. It is the Muskoka Drive-In. Mm -hmm. uh, which is located just outside of Gravenhurst, Ontario, where I mentioned my family cottages. It's a wonderful cinema experience. It's been around since 1952. Uh, my mom talks about going there when she was a teenager. And you think about drive-ins being in these wide open places. This is actually just carved out of the forest. Like the projection screen is a giant cement brick wall painted white. That's on top of a, like part of the Canadian shield, right? Like this giant rock. And I remember having experience going there and you're watching the movie being projected and like fireflies. Oh, we start weird. coming out of the bushes. That's cool. Like around, you know, while you're trying to keep mosquitoes out of the car and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's a really awesome venue. 
to see a movie. That's fantastic. Uh, like, for example, I'm just going to throw out there. That's where I saw Ghostbusters when I was a kid. That's where I saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yep. Uh, I saw The Rocketeer there. I mean, I love The Rocketeer. It's like, awesome. Dave Stevens' comic, The Rocketeer, as well. There's just something about like the design of The Rocketeer that I love. And I saw that movie there. So, obviously, a very early design. Because I had the Art Deco Rocketeer poster yeah. on the wall. Yeah, which is probably yeah. my first exposure to Art Deco. Which... You know, we were talking about some weird decanter thing that you had. We were talking about how Art Deco is my jam. So there you go. There's a very early influence of an exposure to design that would go on. And yep. I still have Rocketeer art framed on my wall at home. Just love it. But anyways, my pick isn't the Rocketeer, actually. Uh, we're going back to the Norwood Theater, 1989 Batman. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, Jesus. You can't... This will sound cheesy... Unless you were around, you have no idea how big Batman was. Mm -hmm. Like, as much as Avengers Endgame was big, as much as people lost their shit about Avatar, doesn't hold a candle to the craziness around Batman. Of course. Like, just doesn't. Like, you don't have tons of people wearing Avatar t-shirts. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't have tons of people... Like, you get people wearing Marvel shirts, but, like, the branding of Batman was amazing. Just that poster where you have, like, the bat symbol, but, like, the fifth of like each side it doesn't say anything else just to date yeah the branding was on point people were so excited and i remember going and again this probably had to have been opening night with my dad and my dad and i would go to summer blockbusters all the time it was like something we did mm -hmm. you know like all the ones that i mentioned at uh, the drive-in was with my dad uh, i remember going to see robin hood prince of thieves with my dad like that was one thing that we would do together is see all these big blockbusters and inevitably they would be at the drive-in or the norwood theater driving up to bracebridge and uh, even the buildup, like I remember, I like I said, I was a weird kid, so I would have been around twelve, right, when Batman came out, like the perfect age, yeah, the perfect age. But like all the controversy around Tim Burton being of the course. director, uh, you know, Michael Keaton. Like I remember buying comic scene and letters complaining about Batman, like six months to a year before it came out, pre-internet, with people being like, "Oh, what's next? They're going to cast Eddie Murphy as Thor." Like, I remember that being a point. So, kind of my first exposure to kind of toxic fandom. Oh, wow. And that side of things. But just loving the shit out of Batman. And, you know, you can be older and you can pick flaws like Batman doesn't use guns and stuff like that. But what Tim Burton pulled off... Oh, yeah. ...is absolutely incredible. In a area where superhero movies were just not a thing. No, not at all. You know, where the last successful like superhero movie was like Superman. Yeah, the Donner ones, right? Over a decade yeah. earlier. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those weird lightning in a bottle movies that just kind of hit a zeitgeist. And again, these other bigger later movies that we think about being these huge milestones are so pre-calculated. Mm -hmm. There's no danger, even though you might think... I think the only other thing that comes close is the Lord of the Rings movies. I think so, yeah. You know, those fall in there that they were just so unproven what they would or would not be successful with, like, the formula and what they were tackling. But Batman was so much like that. If you take Avatar, it's James Cameron doing yeah, whatever. his shit. The Marvel movies, obviously, are very pre-constructed and they're designed to be blockbusters. Yep. No one could see Batman come in. I had my Batman t-shirt. Yeah. You know, along with everybody else. Like I said... The Marvel movies get kind of close, but you don't see tons of people wearing Lord of the Rings t-shirts. Like, no. It was a cultural phenomenon yes. that I have not experienced since then cinematically. I, I felt like, and like I said, in the theater, like people, I, I had never seen people lose their shit in the movie theater before. Like, it is packed, this tiny theater. People are cheering, you know, when Batman picks up the dude and is like, I'm Batman. The joint erupted. 
Yeah. Like absolutely erupted. Like, and I never before or after actually seen a crowd that much into a movie. There was just so much hype building up to it. It's almost like a Phantom Menace was good, you know, like so much anticipation. And my other weird memory of it and why it sticks out in my brain, driving back home from the theater, it's mm-hmm. just me and my dad. Because this would have never have happened if my sister and my mother were in the car. We're going back to the family cottage. There's this long winding, it's a Canadian shield, right? So the road just kind of goes where it can yep. to avoid these giant rocks so they didn't have to blast and stuff like that. And we're so it's like the woods on either side, this windy like gravel road. And my father reaches down and just turns off the headlights. So it's only the running lights. And he just goes, and floors it. And he's tearing along this back road. Like he could have killed us. But I'm 12. I was just just like thinking this is the greatest thing ever because my father never cut loose. And I think he was excited because he was a huge Jack Nicholson fan. Right. Like he loved Jack Nicholson. I remember like him ducking out of a family function to go see the two Jakes. Yeah. You know, like that sort of a Jack Nicholson fan. Uh, so that's my other memory tied to it is my father recklessly endangering his and my own life. Uh, but just having fun, just that energy after seeing the movie. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. he felt compelled to be my growing ass father to pretend to drive the Batmobile with the Danny Elfman score player. There's nothing quite like seeing a movie like that. Um, and if you, it's something that you can only equate to the theater going experience. And I know that there's a, like obviously a stigma or a negativity that has weirdly reared its ugly head um, the last year with kind of the, uh, I guess, I don't want to say the death. I refuse to say the death at this point because it, it, it's something that could still turn around. But the COVID-19 making theaters kind of go into a bit of a hole for a bit. Um, obviously, a lot of people are like, well, I like watching movies at home more anyway. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. I do. But there is nothing quite like being in a packed theater and sharing that experience with a group yeah. of people that are all just universally loving this thing. And, and on the same page, like yeah. when people complain about people making noise in the theater, it's people not reading the room. That's right. You know, and not being courteous of everybody around. But if you're seeing a dumb action movie like Batman and everybody's into it, let's have a blast. Yeah. You know, bringing up movies later. Like we're not talking about watching an Ingmar Bergman film. That's right. You know what I mean? Like, like those are movies that you want to... Take in. You want to soak but everything. If you're seeing in. dumb fun, have dumb fun. That's right. Uh, that's a fucking awesome story. And I just want you to take a look at my list here. I cannot fucking believe that this happened. Um, look at the third one down. <laughs> I, I cannot believe this just happened. It's like a second generation clone thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That it's like it's the same thing, but just kind of off. Just kind of off, yeah. <laughs> okay. So my movie, uh, my next theater-going experience that I want to share is uh, The Dark Knight. <laughs> so, this, I'm jumping ahead to 2008. Oh my god, we're two white dudes who talked about Star Wars and Batman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I swear I'm going to get more erudite with my later ones. Jesus. I know, we have to, man. Like, oh boy. Um, but so, it's a cinematic journey. Like, I'm looking at my list, and there is a def- definite evolution of my taste that lead me to where I am. I, I agree. I yeah. actually... Uh, I'm, at, I'm in the same boat. Um, Jesus. Okay. So, The Dark Knight. Obviously, this was uh, very much on the same level as Batman 89. Um, this thing fucking exploded. Like... It's a zeitgeist film. It is a zeitgeist film. Um, the Dark Knight making over 550 million dollars in just north america alone and then being the number of teenagers that had why so serious posters oh yeah yeah on their fucking wall like you have to go back to the original batman or the crow that's right like to get something like that i don't think that there's uh, any mistake that it's another joker film of course but like this was just on 
a whole other level. This thing was like an obsession. I remember when I saw this distinctly because I actually had to go see it twice. It was uh, my first exposure to uh, things and problems going wrong with the theater going experience. So, okay, first of all, this thing was packed. Like we were like elbow to elbow, which is also just a weird thought given COVID times. I'm thinking about that, but regardless, we the thing was packed and I remember distinctly the first Heath Ledger monologue uh, where he is over, it's almost, it's meant to look kind of like a, uh, like a found footage, super scary sort of like he's, he's captured one of the, uh, the Batman lookalikes and he goes into this like lengthy tirade on, and it just, he, the first time he lets out a laugh, you could hear a pin drop in the theater. It was just, people were just completely in shock. Like the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Where was this? This was actually at Park Lane. Okay. And so you're in Halifax. Obviously. Yeah. Okay. And everyone in the Sorry, theater. Sorry, just like to know. Where yeah. You are. yeah. Connectivity wise, like I never felt a theater going experience, even to this date. Like, and again, I have to point out that I've seen this movie in the theater, I think like six or seven times. Uh, I just, it was a movie that I kept dragging people back to see and people who hadn't seen it. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Let's go out and see it. Like it, I was like many people obsessed with this thing like it was uh it was a game changer and it is a weird cinematic gateway for a lot of people yes i was a little bit older i like the dark knight fine right the pencil trick killed yeah it's like awesome. i remember that being like really massive in the theater oh but yeah it's definitely a generational thing right whereas i have the 89 batman yeah you know you have the dark knight there. well and it was when you actually talk about um uh, when you actually speak of the 89 Batman in that way where you're talking about how the crowd is reacting to just every kind of like little beat and moment and everyone's reacting in unison. That's what's really fascinating about this is because that's very much the experience I had with the dark Knight, where every moment hit and landed perfectly. Everyone was shocked. You, you got the sense that not one person in that theater had seen this thing and they were prepared for it. And this it made the experience itself all the more interesting because my first outing to see it in park lane uh weirdly enough the last 20 minutes of the movie we lost so i i can't get over this 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 is this happened and it stuck out to me so the first time i went out to see it we were hanging on to every single word every line of dialogue and then at the end when the joker is being strung up and does his final monologue Suddenly, the picture starts cutting out, the sound cuts out, and then everything went black. And everyone in the theater lost their fucking mind. I vividly remember, like, it, it was almost like full-blown riot. Um, a kid with a skateboard ran outside the theater and took his skateboard and smashed the movie, <laughs> smashed the movie poster in casing and stole the poster. They gave us all vouchers to go back, of course, because this was yeah. a, this was a technical failure. And I remember just being so goddamn disappointed because it was like we were so in, and like we went back the very next day and yeah. saw it, of course. And we didn't complain watch rewatching any of that at all. It was amazing, but oh my god, like I have never seen, I guess, just complete unified, just cinema bliss being ripped away from a collective crowd. That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I've had that, but nothing that big. You know, I've had it watching like old movies and stuff like that. The only other years. time that that, that happened to me was weirdly in another superhero movie with um, 
X-Men Origins Wolverine, but no one gave a shit. So <laughs> they did like, you a favor. They did us a favor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we didn't get to see uh, Deadpool's head uh, shoot lasers well, on, in a silo. And, and bringing up, like, being, you know, like, a little bit older, I am noticing with a lot of, like, younger, up-and-coming film connoisseurs, critics, Dark Knight really is a huge gateway. Like, that is a moment for almost an entire generation, particularly a generation of dudes, that their gateway into cinema, we've talked about this before, is Christopher Nolan. And whatever you think about him now, he's a huge entry point for so many people. Yes. Uh, you know, like I was a little bit older when he became a thing. Like I remember going to an art house theater to see Memento. Yeah. You know, it kind of disappointed actually that his career went where it went because I thought what he, what he was doing was interesting. Right. But you can't deny that for an entire generation, about 10 years younger than me, which you are, yep. that Nolan and specifically The Dark Knight is their entry point into thinking of cinema beyond just entertainment and being craft? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's my uh, that's my next pick. Um, so okay, uh, this will be a long one, but let's hunker down here because okay. I like I'm enjoying myself. Okay, good. Uh, so we'll, we're we're now going to uh, put a pin in the Batman conversation. <laughs> uh, we're we're getting more into me territory. What you would expect. Okay, uh, we're fast forwarding in my life to uh, the late '90s, early 2000s. I'm living in Toronto. Uh, my exposure to cinema, I'm so lucky. I've brought this up in conversation before with the rep cinemas, particularly in Toronto. And if you don't know what they are, it's a series of about five or six different old cinemas scattered across Toronto uh, that share programming and films. They do a lot of second run things. Like I got drunk with a friend and saw Pirates of the Caribbean for like three bucks, like right. six months after it came out. Yeah. You know, like it was great for that, but also exposure to like art house cinema, world cinema you know, cult cinema. You know, I remember going to a midnight screening of Meet the Feebles. Yeah. You know, before Peter Jackson, I think he had just put out The Frighteners and people were like, do you want to see this crazy movie that he made? You know, and going to see that. Uh, so the exposure, particularly the Bluer cinema, like that is maybe the first cinema that I found that I would consider a church. I love the Bluer cinema. I had my spot on the balcony that I would sit, I would make sure I got there like in line early because I had my seat. Yeah. Which is just to the left on the balcony like front row I loved it just like leaning over watching movies there uh, so yeah the, for me and we talk about our difference in upbringing like I was going down as a teenager as often as I could going to midnight screenings experimenting getting exposed to filmmakers that I never would you know I'm thinking of people like Hal Hartley yeah you know what I mean uh, is a good example of you know just you would go down sometimes and just see whatever was on right because these are all single screen cinemas you would have to, we would all get, you know, the schedule because a movie wouldn't play there all week. You know, it would be like one day it's showing here. It'll be at a different cinema in a different part of the city the next night. The film canisters would kind of shop around. So you actually kind of had to plan if there was something that you really wanted. You're like, oh, this is showing and it's only playing on Thursday. You know, do you want to go? Because that's the only time I'm going to be able to see it. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so you really had to go out of your way. And it made you more discerning because you had to like search. But every so often, you would just be like, do you want to just go to the Blue Cinema and see whatever's on? Yeah. And get exposed to, like, weird, random films that, you know, years later, I'll find and be like, oh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that at the Blue you know. Uh, but the one I really wanted to point out, which is an experience that really stands out. And, you know, like, my exposure to older cinema, I mean, I remember in the rep cinema seeing, like, things like On the Waterfront yep. or The Seventh Seal for the first time projected. You know, like, I was so spoiled. You know, having that be an option to be able to explore these films and see them projected. Uh, but the most fun experience, and I can't remember which one it was at. I think it might have been The Review, which I think is just off of College Street. Uh, we went to see The Kingdom. 
Do you know what the kingdom is? I do. Lars von Trier? Yeah. Uh, for those that might not know, very early in his career, uh, particularly back in 1994, he did a Danish miniseries called The Kingdom, which is basically, everyone always says, is like ER crossed with the X-Files. Yes. It's about a haunted hospital. It is awesome. Uh, the way they decided to project it, because I saw it projected, uh, was that they would do, there are four episodes in it. Each episode is about an hour and 15 minutes. So they would project two episodes and then there was an hour. And then they projected the last two episodes. So two, two and a half hour blocks. Nice. And you would have to buy two separate tickets. Right, of course. But I still remember I was with my friend Dave. I believe my friend Reg was with us. And again, this was a blind thing. Like we had, mm. this is pre-Dancer in the Dark. You know, this is Lars von Trier. I don't even think I really knew who he was. But we, fed, you know, reading our little schedules, like, oh, this weird Danish haunted hospital, like miniseries is being projected. Let's go. That sounds like fun. Yeah. You know. So, uh, yeah, just the ability. We went to a diner. Yeah. And the hour in between. And uh, just, we were talking about it. People were like, what the fuck is this? You know, this weird Danish show. And like I said, that conversation. And it was just such a unique experience being able to see this weird Danish, like, miniseries projected. Yeah. And then to share it with your friends and, like, be able to go out for dinner partway through and just be like, okay, let's strap ourselves in and see where this goes. It's just a really unique experience. No kidding. Cinema. I don't have too much more to say than that, but just I just how much I love the rep cinema system that they have in Toronto. I'm glad it's still around. I love that. That sounds yeah. great. Like I, I, I wish something like that existed around here. The, but I mean, we will get into that when we talk about the future of cinema, right? Because I think something with the amount of film that is made in Nova Scotia, it always shocks me, especially after losing the Oxford. Yeah, the limitations. Like the closest we have is Carbon Arc that may come up later. Yeah. That shows out of the right. Natural History Museum, but it's not the same. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so my next one, uh, now we're starting to get into more me territory, interesting, okay. interestingly enough. Um, so the reason this is actually a short one. Uh, this isn't going to require too much explanation, but my next selection is actually my very first film festival experience uh, because something that I really got into was locally we have the Atlantic Film Festival, um, which every year I'm always really excited to check out just because I like seeing what local people are doing. I like seeing some of the bigger movies too because it gives you an experience to actually catch stuff that winds up usually being on the award circuit a little early. Um, I've seen a lot of great movies that really stood out to me, but actually, weirdly enough, I'm going to talk about the first one that I saw, the first big movie. Like, and I'm talking like something that like had some known actors. Like it wasn't like small scale it wasn't made locally it was something that uh came out i think it was about three or four months before its actual big wide release um which was my experience seeing uh nightcrawler actually yes yeah. i remember this being big for you yeah yeah because i and i remember going to your place and raving about it and how good the experience of seeing it in the theater was because i couldn't convince anybody to go to the theater the uh film festival with me it just was something that like didn't line up schedule wise because it, it is happening obviously over the span of a week and everyone's got a work schedule and stuff i was very fortunate that i was working downtown at the time so it was easy for me to just like float off from my job and go to the movie theater right after work I, I, like i was just like down the road so it was really easy and i saw this at park lane which is where they they host the uh, the film festival and a couple of distinct things happened uh other than just like again sharing that unifying experience there's a it's something i noticed that i still actually to this day noticed going to the film festival you get a totally different crowd there um the experience of watching 
a movie with a film festival crowd and watching it with a general audience crowd is extremely different. There's a politeness, there's a patience and just respectfulness that you get at a film festival. Yeah. Um, everybody there is there for the same reason and they do not want their experience fucked up. Everyone there, there's no, like, even like with the snacks and stuff, everyone is super respectful with the snacks. Um, nobody is like crunching in your ear. All the stuff that, like, the laundry list of like reasons why the theater going experience can sometimes be dismal, like laser pointers, people shouting, dumb teenagers ruining movies for you. And do is the laser pointer thing still a thing? I remember that no. back in the 90s. No, it, it, it's not anymore. However, there was a period of like, I swear to God, like two years where I went to like, oh my God, I think like eight or nine movies that. There was that motherfucker with the laser pointer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a, it just resurfaced out of nowhere. But then they started like really hankering, like like hampering down on that and actually uh, kicking people out for it. So yeah. it stopped thankfully. But um, when I saw Nightcrawler, seeing a movie before its big wide release felt like such an energetic euphoric experience it was something really cool it's like you got to see something that nobody else can readily see right away and you want to just go shout it off yeah. the top of a mountain and weirdly enough the experience of leaving the theater was different too it's not just like okay everyone just leaves a dark room and doesn't look at each other like it's just like that that awkward movie theater leaving experience um instead it's more everyone wanted to talk to each other even people mm-hmm. that didn't know each other everyone had their badges on and stuff like that i had mine on and uh, I actually wound up talking to a complete stranger the entire walk home about Nightcrawler. That is so cool. And it was totally awesome. And like I've never seen this person again. Like, <laughs> like I we just we just had a great time. And there's it was, such a poetry about that. There's though. yeah. I, I got to share a moment um, in my life with a complete stranger that I never saw again, just about a movie. And there's something kind of beautiful about that that I think is very resonant with, I guess movies and the the theater going experience in general there there is a bond though you know and i brought up numerous times that we're film friends like we're good friends but we met because of movies yes and our shared movies i still remember meeting you at that wedding in canso yeah <laughs> yeah and like i was con- i had to bring up the analogy of this wedding being like out of the deer hunter and i had to find somebody who had seen the deer hunter and yeah. that's basically how we met because i'm like this big city drunk dude in Canso at this wedding be like no does anybody not realize this is like the first 20 minutes of the deer hunter seriously somebody has to get this yeah and I got it yeah, <laughs> yeah that was it and here we are here we a are decade later still talking about movies yeah D- doing it for everyone else's entertainment uh yeah so that that's that's my next one so you're up that's great no and my next movie definitely goes into that that it's more of the circumstances like Nightcrawler is a great film yes but like that experience as well that the cinema gives us uh, that's definitely for my next one. Uh, this would have been, I can't remember, it would have been like 2002, 2003. I visited my friend Ray in California. Uh, he was a student and a TA at Berkeley yep. at the time. And I just decided to fuck off, take a massive road trip. And basically live with Ray for a month in California. And we did a couple of road trips. Right. And of course, I am, you know, Hunter for the first time in California. I'm about to fucking go into Hollywood. You know, and God bless Ray, one of the most cultured people i've ever met in my life but good lord he loved his schlock too dumb touristy shit yep there's a reason why we were friends and uh so we decided we we go to hollywood we're staying in this like really cool hostel which is right behind gorman's chinese theater like we're right just off of hollywood boulevard in the chintzy shittiest part of la like it's awesome yeah and uh 
we got one of those like tour packages where you it would be like a whole bunch of tickets that you could redeem so it would be like uh you know a bus tour of like hollywood homes and like a ticket to the hollywood history museum where it's basically just a bunch of screens doing hollywood montages like that's really all it is we thought we were like oh there's an exhibit about the history of smoking in movies it was literally just you walk into a room and there's a montage on a screen of people smoking Oh my god. That culturally didn't have anything to do with it. So one of the tickets was that you could go to uh, the Egyptian theater. Which, if you aren't familiar with what it is, it's one of the great movie houses in the world. It was built in the 20s. Talking about Art Deco again. Like, this is an Art Deco-like palace. Right. Uh, It's right off of Hollywood Boulevard. It's kind of tucked away. You kind of go down these stairs and then you go in and this this gorgeous Art Deco. The ticket was you could see... Uh, basically a projection of the history of Hollywood movies. Yes. And Ray and I were like, we can't do another fucking montage. Like, we can't just, you know, with clips of, like, strings with, here's looking at you, kid. Yeah. You know, and I could have been a contender. Like, these awful montages just drilling into your head. And then we noticed on the bottom of the ticket that it said it can be redeemed for another movie. That's just showing there. You don't have to see this Hollywood thing. So we're like, fuck, like, like with the rep cinemas, we're like, let's just go see whatever's playing. Yeah. You know, we don't want to do it. And I wanted to go in just to see the architecture. Right. Because, you know, I had heard about it. So we basically just went in there to see whatever was playing, just to see the Egyptian theater inside and what it's like. Of course. It's definitely the most beautiful cinema I have ever been in. Yes. Is Egyptian theater. And what was showing was this weird independent film called Southlander. Ooh. Do you know what Southlander is? No, actually. I gotta make you watch Southlander. Yeah, I was gonna say we gotta watch this. Uh, it was made by this gentleman. Uh, one of the few notes I have because I want to make sure I remember this. Steve Hanf. Uh, this is the only movie he ever made. He basically had a job that he delivered flyers, right? Like kind of like a penny saver sort of thing. Uh, but he would also deliver them to like celebrities' houses. So he kind of got to know some like local celebrities. Yeah. So he convinced him convinced some, like, some people to be in this little movie of his, which is about a struggling musician played by Rory Cochran, uh, you know, from like Dazed and Confused. And I think he was like on NCIS or something for a while. Some weird show like that. Yeah. You'd know him to see him. Of course. Uh, very young Rory Cochran uh, about a struggling musician who plays keyboards specifically on a Molotron 3000, which is like a little key- electronic keyboard that looks like a spaceship. Yeah. Sort of 60s pop design. Yep. Uh, really wants to tour in this band because he's also in love with the lead singer who's played by Beth Orden. So, of course, he's in love with her. Right. If you don't know Beth Morden, Beth Orden, a very kind of, at the time, a really popular indie musician. Uh, really, really popular. Lots of musicians in here. Beck is in this what? randomly because he met Beck delivering papers. And he was like, like, hey, Beck, do you want to be in my movie? And Beck was like, okay, I will, but only if I can be a weird guy isolated in a cabin recording music on like weird four-track machines. And he's like, okay, Beck, I will write you a scene to be in my movie. Like, it's a weird fringy cult film, and it's delightful. It definitely wears its 90s indiness on its sleeve, but it is fun. So we went in for the movie theater, but we stumbled across this delightful film. And it was like maybe five years after I was at Bloor Video in Toronto going through their, like, discounted, you know, sort of, like, old DVDs. And if you don't know Bloor Cinema... Bluer Video is like one of the biggest video shops. I hope it's still there. Mm-hmm. But when I lived there, one of the biggest video shops in the city. And I was flipping through just their reject bins of movies they were getting rid of. And I came across a DVD of Southlander for like four bucks. And I'm like, I never even thought to look for this movie on DVD. Like, it's that obscure. 
Like, it never even crossed my mind to think of getting a copy. What? So I immediately phoned Ray, and I'm like, Ray, what are you doing tonight? And he's like, I don't know, making, like, spaghetti and nothing else. I'm like, I'm coming over. We're watching a movie. Oh, nice. And he's like, <laughs> okay, yeah. He's like, do you want some spaghetti? And I'm like, sure. And Ray was not a great cook. When he says spaghetti, it's literally like cooked spaghetti with, like, the tin tomato sauce. In. Yeah, of course. I had it a lot. Sure. Hanging out with Ray. Uh, and I just walked in, like, you won't believe what I found today. And I just plopped Southlander. And he's like, is that the fucking movie we saw in the Egyptian theater? Like, when you were visiting me in California? And like, yes, this is the fucking movie that we saw. And he's like, oh my god, I never thought about watching this movie again. Like, it was just such a weird blip experience. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, so we sat down and we just had a blast revisiting Southlander, this weird, obscure movie that I just stumbled across in Blur Video. Yeah. Never thinking that I would see again. But this is an instance that it was like, yeah, I just wanted to see the Egyptian theater and I got a chance to do it. And found this like he never made another movie again there was a Q&A with the director afterwards yep and they're like do you have any other projects he's like no it's too much work <laughs> so this is the only movie that the guy made but it's awesome we we got to line up a movie night soon and watch it after sharing Holy this story shit. yeah because it's ever. a really if you have an opportunity to see Southlander which is the name of the paper that the musician oh yeah because his keyboard gets stolen that's the problem right, right, the movie right. got sidetracked so he's spending the entire movie using the Southlander newspaper to find ads for the Molotron 3000 and getting into all these weird circumstances. Yes. And cameos of like musicians playing people and stuff like that to try to get this keyboard so he can go on tour with his band. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. That's... Sorry, I got derailed before I could talk about no, it. No, that's but, okay. That, that, but, uh, that's a really cool shared experience that you had. And it's it's really awesome that you managed to find the movie again. and By accident. By accident as well. Yeah. Like, so many weird like circumstantial things that are connected to like a movie going experience that are that are really kind of fun to like unpack um, and, and there are jokes that i make or comments that ray and i would make to each other based on that movie yeah just from the one time that we saw it yeah uh that you'll probably watch it and you'll be like oh my god hunter says that like all the time yeah 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 you, you know it's you, a highly quotable film it's, it's a delightful little curio definitely track it down well you, you kind of develop a vernacular around those experiences right yeah um this is kind of where i think our uh i guess our film going experiences diverge a little bit because weirdly enough my next one is it's the total opposite experience okay so my next one is actually the first time that i just randomly decided to take advantage of a really nice summer day and waste it in a theater um in the dark uh in indoors and it was in the middle of like a freaking saturday or something like that it was like the middle of the afternoon and i had i, I didn't come up with a plan like normally i'm very methodical with my film going experiences like i plan ahead of time i'm like oh they're talking there's a buzz around this film and i uh i'm gonna it's premiering here and i'm gonna go on this day and blah 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 and i'm also big on opening weekends and stuff like, yeah you I, really are. I, I love that stuff because i like the energy that you get from the crowd this was one of those times where i was just like ah fuck it i'm gonna go see a movie and this was like five or six weeks into its theatrical run i got to catch your next um okay and i saw it completely alone and I mean, not just I didn't bring people with me. I was the only one in the theater. That has happened once to me. Yeah. Yeah. And because it has only happened one time to me, it stuck out. Because I got to have a singular experience in a big giant room with a big big picture, big sound. And I felt like it was all for me. And, and that's an interesting movie to have the theater 
by yourself with. Yeah. Like that happened to me because I'm a weirdo. When I travel, I'll see movies. Like I'll go to a city and if I have time in the evening and no plans, I'll be like, I'll find the closest movie theater and just see what's playing. Yeah. So I've seen movies all across North America. Yeah. Uh, but that happened to me one time I was in Victoria and I was killing time and I saw a shitty uh, Woody Allen movie, Hollywood Ending. Right, right. And right. I was just the only person in the theater. Nobody else gave us crap about the shitty Woody Allen film. Yeah, that's right. And like because of how... Dis- but yours would hide the experience. It did, yeah. actually. It was totally awesome. I felt like I was having an isolated experience. And if you haven't seen your next... So the first hour of this movie, I felt like I wanted to leave almost in a weird way. It was kind of like, oh man, this isn't, this is fine, I guess. But then when the movie kicks in, it really fucking kicks you. Yeah. It's because there's a giant, like, uh, I guess they're, they're, they're going off tropes in this movie quite a bit. Um, They're actually subverting your expectations on what the final girl character Mm -hmm. is actually like. Um, And when that kicks into high gear and i won't spoil this for anyone who hasn't seen it um i was losing my goddamn mind and i could only lose it by myself yeah and it was an experience that when i left i was just so excited that i had made the decision to just go randomly see a movie without any sort of plan well into its theatrical run that i only heard light buzz about at the time i didn't really know a lot about it i was just like oh whatever i wanted to see a horror movie um and it's an experience that I've been trying to replicate for years, and I have not been able to do it. Uh, leading up to that, like I actually developed a weird taste for going to the movies by myself, which I've, in, in conversation, I've noticed that an awful lot of people find very strange. Um, yeah, I, I hate going to the movies by myself. I'm the total opposite. And, uh, it's actually going to lead into one of my other picks, weirdly enough, um, coming up because it would kind of shape my theater going experience going forward and my own personal feelings on the theater itself and why I would inevitably have some very like almost like reality changing, like the way I think yeah, uh, experiences uh, using it as like a deterrent to kind of get through tough times and things like that. I, because I gained a comfort with, going by myself i sought it out if i would always ask friends first like i would always try to make actively uh to go out with a group of people or something because that obviously is quite a bit better um to share that experience with people and to immediately go out for a beer and talk about it and things like that but i was totally fine if friends didn't want to go and it just didn't ruin my plans i would just go anyway Mm -hmm. um but anyway that's it for mine it's very short but like it really did it was pivotal for me yeah yeah definitely um, okay, so my next one. When we talked about the future of cinema, uh, I've been very fortunate. I don't know what the technical term is. I refer to them as Gorilla Drive-Ins because the company that put these on when I lived in Victoria, that's what they were called, the Gorilla Drive-In. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've been to screenings like this in Toronto and short for a short period when I first moved to Halifax, there was a guy who was doing it. But the concept of finding a location outside. Yeah. And finding a film and projecting it. And sometimes it's just simply projecting the film. Like, here I saw Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast projected on the side of a school. Right. You know, like up towards where I used to live. Like, like up towards McDonald's. Like where I used to live. There was a school there. Uh, and I was like, I get to see Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast projected. It doesn't matter if it's on a tarp. Yeah. You know, outside. And I've seen some really cool ones. Like I saw uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. In Toronto, I saw that projected in an empty like warehouse. Yep, which was really cool. I saw the good, the bad, the ugly projected on the side of Tim Hortons. 
in like Victoria, BC, like just weird random places. And the idea they pop up, you have a little radio that you bring, like you go out. I own a small little portable radio purely for this purpose because I don't listen to the radio any other time. And a small frequency is sent out and everybody just has a little speaker. You bring a lawn chair and you just kind of plop down with whatever food that you bought, brought. Yep. And just wherever they decide to project. And sometimes people can get really creative with them. Uh, this is something I've toyed with the idea of doing myself. Right. Spencer and I have talked about buying a projector and projecting movies on the side of our house. That's Because so cool. our house is a giant black brick of yes. a house. It's like over 100 years old. Very Nova Scotian looking. Yeah. And the side has no windows on it. It's this just giant black side. And then there's like a weird open driveway for like a business next to us. It's perfect for that actually. And we have toyed with the idea of doing this. But we just don't know how long we're going to be living there. Is it worth the investment? You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. And the technicalities involved. And I think moving into the summer, we might be toying with that idea again. Because I love this concept. Yeah. And I wish this was something that would take off more i don't know what's involved with rights you know stuff like that screening i think you can get away with a lot as long as you're not charging yeah which you're never doing for these things anyways you're doing it for the love of cinema and i'm just going to share my favorite one okay that i had of these because this was again a really unique cinematic experience and venturing into the idea of cinema not in the cinema yeah uh this was when i was living in victoria bc and it was a screening of a documentary called rivers and tides uh, which came out in 2001. It's about a British artist named Andy Goldsworthy. And what he does is that he does temporary nature art. Mm -hmm. Like he goes around and it'll be like weaving branches together in the middle of a forest or ice and snow. And the idea is that it's temporary art that will, you know, just due to entropy and nature just inevitably fall apart. Yeah. And that's what this documentary is about. It's an interesting documentary. If that sounds interesting to you, definitely search it out. Cool. This was projected on a beach oh whoa in victoria bc and if you've never been out west these rocky beaches and they have this sheet hung over the side of a cliff that is on this beach so we all brought lawn chairs and we're watching this movie about nature art projected at night with the ocean right next to us this nature documentary being shown and my girlfriend at the time we brought a blanket and we're sitting like on the rocks on the beach because it's right there next to Victoria, right? Like, you don't have to go very far. Like, if this was like a 10-minute walk from where we lived. Of course, yeah. To get to this beach uh, right next to the city. And uh, I'll never forget this. We're watching this, so it's already serene. It's beautiful. We're next to the Pacific Ocean watching this. And I shit you not, shooting star started. No way. And Amy pointed That's up. That's so awesome. To the sky. And we just leaned back and just watched shooting stars on a beach. Ah. Oh. In Victoria, British Columbia, while rivers and tides is projected, it's the antithesis of a cinematic. You were talking about going on a summer day into the basement. This is watching a movie about nature. In nature. Just the beauty of just, just oh. all of a sudden shooting stars starting. And everybody kind of lost their shit. Like everybody was still murmuring. There were more respectful crowds at these gorilla drive-ins yeah. than most indoor cinema experiences that i've had everybody that went there was there just out of a love for cinema yeah. let's see whatever they were projecting uh and yeah it's just an incredible experience that i still hold i still remember amy just tapping me on the shoulder and just not saying a word and pointing up jesus and seeing that was just an incredible experience and that loans itself again to the sort of fun that you could have with ideas of where you could project yes and i would i would fucking love to do this i want to project six string samurai on the side of my house I've convinced Spencer that if we ever project a movie on the side of our house for whatever reason, I want it to be Six String Samurai. 
And I think that would be like amazing. I think you could totally pull that off. I, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh my God, your, your, your house is perfect for it. Yeah. Like we have had conversations about it and I'll probably bring it up to him again because I'll be honest, we have had discussions about doing this and Spencer being Spencer also wants to do it for the neighborhood kids, you know, just show like young things and just, uh, like we want to call it, you know, uh, the Crichton street cinema that we live and the idea of the driveway next to my house being a cultural cinema point. You guys would actually, I think would be a really cool thing to do. You would get a lot of attention. Yeah. Like seriously, that would, you'd be the talk of the town. We'll we'll see if it happens, but my love for the gorilla drive-ins that I've been into in the past that are purely put on by people not making money out of love for cinema. Yeah. The one that was here in Halifax when I first moved here, they just had problems with keeping the equipment going. Of course. They were like, we can't keep dumping money into like equipment and getting things fixed. Which I totally understand. So the people making it is purely for the love of cinema. Yep. There's no monetary sort of gain going on. It's just pure love of art and cinema when you go to one of these things. And the people there are going out of their way to go. I really hope to get something off of the ground. Because like I said, I'm picking six movie experiences from my life. Of course. You know, that made an impact on me. And sitting on the beach with my girlfriend, watching Rivers and Tides... There's no other experience like it that can never be replicated. Again. I was just going to say, like, that's the theater-going experience that, uh, or cinema-going experience that, like, you dream of. Like, I, I, I dream of seeing something like that. That's a very unique and just completely, like, life-changing experience. That's really great. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever shared that story with no, you No, I have never yeah. heard that one. Like, a, a couple of the... And I very rarely get nostalgic for that girlfriend, but that was a very nice moment with her. Uh, sure. And I mean, like, uh, a couple of the previous, uh, I guess, movies you mentioned, I had actually heard you tell those stories before, but the last couple I've never heard before. So this is this is really, this is fun news for I can't me. believe I didn't bring up the Southlander one. Yeah, I've never That's, heard you. Yeah, we're going to okay. Never heard you talk about that. Um, so my next one, totally left field and not nearly as glorious, uh, as, uh, seeing that's a high watermark. I was going to say like the one that I don't think, I think that's like as high as it goes. I yeah. think you just, we reached the pinnacle. My next one was an experience that I had that opened my mind and my eyes to different forms of cinema. Uh, we mentioned that we're covering six each, uh, that's, a honestly like maybe a couple of honorable mentions that i have yeah like i I have a lot more too but like i I wanted to pick six distinct ones myself like a couple of blockbusters and then some smaller stuff like obviously i had to throw in a horror movie uh my next one uh is actually i uh, kind of a a glimpse into the fact that like i love me some schlock and with b movies and movies of similar quality you get a completely different experience than you do a big budget movie completely different uh different crowd different mindsets people are going for different reasons um i saw at this was another film festival experience and i saw this with actually a pretty big group of people Uh, and we all went for the same reason because we heard that this movie has nicholas cage going nuts i've heard this story before yeah Yeah. so we it's a great one though i'm looking forward to hearing it oh man like holy shit okay so we we all piled in together and went and saw mandy now this this movie's fairly recent. You can actually check this out on Shutter, I believe. I think it's actually on there. Oh, keeping the silver screen anomaly tradition alive of plugging Shutter. I, I, I was just gonna say, gotta. Do it a, almost didn't happen. There uh, you go. <laughs> gotta do a Shutter plug. That's for you, Hallie. So Mandy, 
good lord i have never been in a, a theater where everybody there was there for the exact same reason and not in like the sense of like okay you go to see the dark knight because you want to see the new big christopher nolan batman movie you you do it for the love of the comic book character it's a bit more of like a big uh i guess pop culture genre film Mm -hmm. this was a small tiny just super strange b schlock like totally hypnotic experience with a crowd of people and i can't describe to you this might be i think the most packed theater i've ever been in and it's for fucking mandy of there's a special type of crowd oh yeah that'll make their goal to a room full of people that are just in for nicholas cage being the most nicholas cage he will ever be in his entire fucking that's life that's what it was that's going to be a crowd that's, that's what it was i'm actually kind of jealous about missing this one the energy that I felt was unlike any other movie experience I've ever had. And that includes The Dark Knight. Like, I mean, obviously, as big of a movie as that was, I have never had a movie rival Mandy. Uh, this thing was nuts. That's like, cool. There were people fucking sitting on the floor, which you're not even supposed to do, and they did it anyway. Like, it was nuts. Like, and the fact that this was a film festival movie, too. Yeah. So that crowd that I mentioned earlier, like, that very sophisticated, very, like, respectful, everyone was there to have fucking fun and watch Nicolas Cage in his underwear with a tiger shirt, drink vodka in a bathroom and scream. There's something kind of great about that. And you, you hear about it all the time with like movies like the room where everyone's throwing spoons at the, at the, yeah. at the and, and shit like that. And, Oh God, I could have brought up going to one of those when I was living in Vancouver. I've seen a lot of those. Yeah. And there's nothing like seeing movies like that, where there's a very specific energy and and reason that you're going to see it you're not going to see it because it's high art or anything like that and i do think that mandy on like an art direction level is actually quite impressive art is art is art art is art is art i believe in democratization of the arts there's no such thing as high art just throw it all against the wall that's right well good cinema is good cinema it doesn't matter how heady it is well we were just talking about fucking psycho gorman earlier and for the same for the same reasons like and with mandy being in that crowd was unlike anything i'd ever felt before like everyone was reacting at the exact same moments it was like we were like synchronized swimmers it was that's awesome it was just insane and everyone you felt it it was something that you just felt and everyone left and with a smile on their face they got exactly what they wanted and like it took like fucking 15 minutes to empty that theater just because so many people were like bumping up against each other and stuff because people were on the floor and they had popcorn was everywhere like it was like the you know, like for a lot of people, like the theater going experience being this like messy sort of loud thing. This was one of those exceptions where I wanted it to be energetic and loud and disruptive and chaotic. And it was 10 times what I expected. It was just. And everybody, like shit. we know Mandy now as being bonkers, but like nobody there had seen it before. No, no one did. Because again, so you, film were, you didn't know that you were going to get fucking Nicolas Cage and Mandy, which is now just it's, a thing. It's a thing. Like, <laughs> and now it's almost like shaped and. and he's now on like a totally different career path almost because of this thing. Like he's their p- directors are actually figuring out what to do with this actor. And thank God, because of the shitty action movie, Nicholas cage, oh, like direct to video action movie. Yeah. No, Nicolas cage was just sad for a good decade there. Put him in these low budget, thoughtful horror films or like horror action or whatever they are. And he, he's just had a series of hits now, as far as I'm concerned, they figured out what to do with him. And this was one of those moments where just like, we got exactly what we wanted. Every single person in that theater did. And it was just the energy. I I was like vibrating when I left. I was so excited. As usual, if you were to can't compile the number of films, we even just name dropped. 
Yeah. Like, not even put focus on. We're going from Igmar Bergman and Lars von Trier all the way down to Nicolas Cage. Yet again, a good variety of films. Great variety. <laughs> a little something for everyone. Uh, so yeah, so you're, you're next one. Uh, I'm going to need honorable mentions after this because after making fun of our first two picks, uh, I don't want to go out on this one. Okay. But, uh, it is 2008. And imagine a time where I cannot find a single person that wants to go opening night to see Iron Man. Oh my God. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. You know, couldn't convince anyone. And I was looking forward to it. I'm... I was a Marvel kid. Right. You know, I actually got excited by the concept. I lo- I've always loved Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. Of course. Uh, even in his down and out periods, you know, when he would crop up and kiss kiss bang bang or something like that. When somebody would actually like invest the time and the money in his career. When he was just absolutely skidding out. But I was always one of those people that just wanted Robert Downey Jr. to have a comeback. I loved the film Chaplin. Where Robert Downey, young yeah, Robert yeah, Downey yeah. Jr. plays Charlie Chaplin. I adore this. It's great. It's a cheesy biopic, but it's a biopic that I love. It's good. And I would always look back and watch Chaplin and be like, oh, I hope he makes a comeback. Yeah. You know, there's so much potential of a young actor there. Like, who else could play fucking Charlie Chaplin? I know, seriously. And do it well. And he, it was Robert Downey Jr. He nails it. So for years, I was just kind of like cheering on for him to make a comeback. I'm not a huge Iron Man fan of the property, but like, I love him. I think it's perfect casting. You know, John Favreau, it's kind of like Batman over again. Like, John Favreau was, was a guy who directed Swingers and, like, the Guardians of Gahul. Yeah. Was that him? Uh, I know he did Zathura. I was going to say Zack Snyder, Snyder, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. It's, but yeah. a dumb kid's, like, of course. special effects movie. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't find anyone. My girlfriend at the time was just like, no, I'm not going to go see a fucking, like, comic book movie of Iron Man. What the fuck is Iron Man? So my girlfriend worked at a record store. It was, you know, around in 2008, there were still record stores. Right, right, of course. And she worked with this guy, Lon. And Lon is like this really cool metalhead, you know, horror movie, like genre movie guy. I still have him on Facebook and he's still posting like, I'm watching Donnie Darko tonight. You know, stuff like that. Really cool guy. And uh, she was like, maybe Lon will want to go. And I'm like, yeah, fire off Lon a message, you know, like... I didn't have a cell phone at the time in 2008. Sure, yeah. So see if he'd go. And Lon was willing to go. So I'm like, awesome. I have something to see Iron Man with. Because this is like opening night we're going. Yeah. And uh, he brings his girlfriend along. And I think she she had no interest. She just tagged along. And we were one of maybe about 20 people in the theater. Oh, wow. Opening night scene in downtown Victoria. And there's not a lot of cinemas in Victoria. So this is where if you wanted to see it. And you lived anywhere close to downtown, you were going to go. Not full at all. Opening night. But it was amazing. We talked about unique experiences. Like, Lon and I wouldn't hang out without my girlfriend. Right. Lon was Amy's, my girlfriend's friend. He was just the only human being I could find to go see Iron Man with. And uh, afterwards, we were like, that's awesome. And we looked at each other, and we were both like, at the same time, want to grab a beer? Oh my god, yes. (laughs) And we sat down, and we... His poor girlfriend, I think her name was Trish, uh, she just dutifully sat there and watched these two dudes just having this huge comic book background, seeing like just a good Iron Man movie. Like, what yep. the fuck was that? Yeah. And no idea where this was going to go. Like, there's we talked about the ambition of like, like, you know, we knew they were going to make a Captain America movie and a Thor movie, you know, and the Avengers was going to come, but no idea where it was going to go. 
we just went out and just saw a fucking Iron Man film. Yeah. And we're excited. And the only time we've ever hung out is the time that we saw Iron Man together opening night and bored his girlfriend to death by talking about like <laughs> comics yeah. and like superhero shit and movies for like two hours, you know, over many pints of beer. And that's just, again, no idea where this Marvel shit was going to go. This glut that's still going on. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, if you had told me after seeing Iron Man that we were going to get a Guardians of the Galaxy film or fucking Eternals film whenever that comes oh out, I never would have believed you. But I, I just had to throw that in there. No, I think Me and once went and saw Iron Man opening night with, like, an almost empty theater. And look where it ended up, man. Oh, like, it's yeah. it's so weird, but... It's kind of cool that at ground zero for these Marvel movies, I have this very unique experience. Before, you know, they just became something that everybody would just pile to see because it was just what you did. Yes. You know, there was a time where nobody, well, not, it was a hit, but, yeah, you know, like it wasn't something that everybody was looking forward to. Well, it came out the same year as The Dark Knight, too. So that was it obviously. Did, yeah. yeah. So that was a turning point, actually. And I didn't The Incredible Hulk also come out the same year? Yeah, but that was like slapped into the MCU afterwards. It was, right? of course, yeah. and like it felt lesser than as a property overall. Um, that was like shortly after Iron Man, I think. Yeah. But regardless, uh, before I get into my last one, I kind of want to speak off of yours a little sure. bit, yeah. just because Iron Man was incredibly memorable for me too. Because weirdly enough, I was in college studying animation at this point, and I went with my entire class. It was almost like fucking homework for us. We went and... It still looks pretty damn good. God, that movie's great. Well, I mean, I still to this day, and I remember having a big discussion about it with my animation instructor the next day, talking about the uh, the rivets on the suit and how they move and the rig that must be involved with making that move the way that it does. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so impressive on an animation level. But regardless, um, I just to mirror what you were saying, like I remember being in that theater and sticking around for that post credit scene with Nick Fury. Yeah. And the prospect of the Avengers initiative being set up was such an outlandish concept. Like the fact that they were even attempting that, the idea of that. We were convinced that one of them, <clears throat> Thor, was going to take and squander the whole idea. That's what I thought. Everybody it, thought that Thor was going to be the one that was going to take and we're never going to get an Avengers movie because nobody will want to see a Thor film. Because it's so silly, right? But it, obviously we ate our words on that and then of course here we are today and like this is one of the biggest mega blockbuster properties that has ever existed in the history of cinema yeah um yeah it's amazing stuff and so that, that, that's just to kind of speak off of the same movie i had my own distinct experience mm -hmm. with that uh, my last one uh is a bit of a i'm ending on a personal note um with this one and it's a very recent one this kind of was a moment where i really really like i needed the theater like i needed it as a personal experience I and mean, i've already kind of opened up the door now with your next uh suggesting to everybody that like i really liked going by myself after that point like i was trying to replicate that experience then there was just a time in my life where i desperately needed the movie theater because i was in a time of need um i went through like the worst breakup of my life mm -hmm. uh it was it was i was in shambles it was i, I was confused i was uh, it was a very toxic relationship as well and it wound up uh, opening me up to a whole other level of pain that I wasn't prepared for, and I went and saw, I went and saw this little um, Ari Aster film, uh, Midsommar. Totally changed my life. Uh, Midsommar. I was not prepared. I didn't plan on seeing a breakup movie when I went to see Midsommar. I went 
to see Midsommar because I really liked Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the director impressed me a lot with his first outing and then a lot of talk was surrounding this one as well. And uh, I loved the sort of vivid, very like, um, I guess, a Wicker Man mm-hmm. type approach to this. I wasn't prepared to see an encapsulation of my own relationship on film. Uh, just the gaslighting, the just the way that character was treated and then also like the 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 sense of i guess catharsis that you get when she smiles at the end despite the horrific situation it weirdly i mirrored a character like it felt like the movie was at in that moment made for me in that very moment it felt like i was sharing an experience with characters on screen that was depicting some moments in my life despite the fact that it's this horror film about obviously a cult fucking killing people. Yeah. Um, it, it just completely like upended me. And I actually got extremely emotional in the theater. Like I was, I couldn't hold back tears. Like I was, it, my initial attempt to just go out for the night cause I needed to get out of my apartment. I needed to escape what I was feeling resulted in me feeling it was me re- releasing my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I left the theater and I, uh, I could still feel like the tears dried up on my face and everything like that. And I just thought about the movie by myself the whole way home. And then something happened. Uh, It was a perfectly beautiful summer day. Like there was no forecast for rain. Mm -hmm. And it just started raining out of nowhere, which normally when it, you know, it rains in Nova Scotia, it's it's a total like piss off moment. But like, this was like the light rain that you get that like almost, it felt like a purifying experience. Mm -hmm. And I just walked in the rain. And thought about this movie and thought about my life and thought about the experience that I was going through and what I got out of it. And it totally like shaped me. It, uh, it really, really hit me hard. So that movie will always hold like a special place in my heart because single handedly because of the movie going experience. Like if I watched that at home, I would not have had that experience, which is why like I'm, I'm so precious about theaters and why, like, I don't want that experience to die because there, or it needs to change in some way, of course. But like, there's got to be a way to maintain that in some way because you're not, you're never going to get that sitting in your living room. That's that's what I'm ending on. Agreed. I mean, art as catharsis, yeah, is a beautiful thing, and maybe happens a handful of times, yeah, in your life when art, specifically, as you said, feels tailor made for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can only think of a couple of times for me. I've had it a few times, mainly with music. You yeah. know, that you, you hear a song and you're like, like you, you feel like, even when you're not an emotional teenager, you know, like you of feel course. like the, that the song is speaking to you uh, and that experience. No, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, uh, yeah. Because I remember you loving that movie. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one for me and it's a very recent one and uh, where I absolutely wanted to end my, uh, my big discussion. Those are like my big six. Yeah, and... Yeah. Can I just make a couple of honorable mentions just because I... Throw them in there. Why I don't not? want to start with uh, white dudes talking about predictable films and ending my list with a white dude film. Sure, um, go for it. You know, more white dudes talking about Marvel films. Toss them in there. That. Uh, one of my more recent ones was uh, Dawson City Frozen Time. Uh, the documentary about... Uh, in, Yukon, in the Yukon, Dawson City, uh, them finding these film reels from the silent era that had been buried... Yes, up there in the basically preserved by permafrost. Uh, there's much more to it than what I'm saying, but that's the general gist because I don't want to take too long. 
Uh, it's still available on the Criterion channel. Yep. So if anybody has that, because I checked, I rewatched it when it first went on the Criterion channel. I'm like, I wonder if it's still on there. It is. Uh, but a large part of the movie is because there are so many lost silent films. Uh, these sort of partially decayed lost films uh, have been recovered. But when large swaths of the documentary are then just projecting these right. old images and these lost films, these lost images of these long lost people. Yeah. It is the closest I've seen to seeing ghosts in real life. It was a remarkable experience in the theater seeing these old images That's really that cool. as of you know, a year ago, these images officially did not exist anymore. There were no prints. And the reason why they were preserved up there, Dawson City was the end of the line right. for these touring film reels. And they were supposed to send them back to the studios back in the 20s. Yep. And they were like, fuck this. And they literally just tossed them in a hole Yeah. behind the theater. And that happened to preserve them that way. It's a remarkable experience. Like you, I don't think I would have had the same effect if I had seen it at home for the first time. Of course. Seeing these long lost flickering decayed images being projected on screen was a cinematic experience I never thought to have. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful that I've had now just a completely unique cinematic experience. Yeah. Uh, watching that film. And I was racking my brain. The last, last movie I saw in a the theater that I lost my shit over. Yeah. Sorry to bother you. Oh, yeah. Another movie I couldn't find anyone to go see with me. Oh I just popped into fucking Bears Lake of all places to watch this movie about corporate culture. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I immediately left and I texted everybody that I knew that I liked movies. My girlfriend, who had zero interest in seeing this fucking movie, I had to call her and be like, I cannot process what I just saw. <laughs> yeah. Like, I cannot process this film. I went opening night. I went because I like Boots Riley as a musician. I had heard good things about this from the festival circuit, but knew that the movie basically was about a guy who gets a job at a call center. Yes. I made you watch this movie recently. You know that that barely touches what this movie is. Yeah. I wanted you to watch it just to hear you lose your shit over certain scenes. And I did. Some of which played by Army Hammer that now takes very different connotations. Uh, uh, huh? What's going on with Army Hammer's career. But uh, it kind of heightens the movie, actually. It's not like Kevin Spacey that he kind of brings down everything. Yeah. The weird shit that has been going on with Army Hammer's career kind of heightens the movie a little a bit. A little bit, it yeah. It, it plays into uh, it. But I wanted to bring that. That was the last time I left a movie theater that I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. I'm so glad I saw it in the theater. Uh, it's still great at home. Don't let it deter you, but that this is my Mandy that was my movie going in again I may be one of about 10 people in the theater right so it's different than your experience with Mandy but going in blind not knowing what yeah. I'm going to get and then just leaving there being like what the fuck yes that you can only get in a theater yeah where you're not like I'm bad for this picking up the phone seeing if anybody messaged partway yeah. through like just having that 100% attention Checking I just in. wanted to throw out sorry to bother you because yeah it's one of the best movies of the last 10 years I agree to that and I agree with that. uh what the fuck man it's still it's yeah. fantastic yeah like even recently I made called him because of my recommendation because it's on Netflix now oh anyone can right. see it right and Colin was like, yeah, I checked out that movie, uh, Sorry to Bother You, that you really liked. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what the fuck is up with that movie? And I'm like, I know. Like, in a good way, what the fuck is up with it. I, I agree. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Those are some great honorable mentions. Yeah, so, I mean, that kind of wraps up our discussion. Uh, this was a big one, and we had a... Uh, 
obviously good breadth of films yeah we've got a, a widespread here for anybody who wants to dive into anything um there's there's a little something here for everyone i think um as a final note before we end things off i think we should just do like almost like a post-mortem on the discussion and just have a brief discussion and keep it as brief as possible uh for the sake of time about i'm, I'm dreading how long this is <laughs> the future of cinema yes uh, the future of theaters where do we think this is going um, I don't have too many thoughts on it to be honest with you so I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on it not really I mean cinemas are not going away it seems no. like it right now at one point there will be an end to COVID this has gone on way longer than anyone predicted yes you know if I had I'm just staring down the barrel of working from home for a year like yeah. it's been a year that I've been working from home because of the pandemic that is crazy that's not you yeah. know that we've all had this shared experience I think cinemas might be different. I think studios will be very different. Yes. You know, with a lot of the studios realizing that leaning into like, you know, home streaming is a thing. I think a lot of people may be conditioned to just go at home. That it might become more centralized of like cinema going as a thing that, I don't know. It's so hard to predict. Like anything to do with COVID. We can't predict anything. Well, It's a horse in the hospital philosophy. Yeah. Right? That it's like, we don't know what's going to happen because there's never been a, not to rip off John Mulaney, but... We've never had a horse in the hospital before. We don't know what to do or what's going to happen, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. And I mean, look no further than the Golden Globe. Nom sorry, the Golden Globe nominees just actually came out. Yeah. And it's all streaming services for the most part, like almost across the board. Like Netflix, I think, has the highest amount of nominees. And just, I distinctly remember there being controversy around nominating Netflix films just a couple of years ago yeah. for Oscars and things like that, because they were like, this isn't real cinema and now we don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So there's this interesting conversation that's kind of revolving around like, where is this thing going? And I, I do think that it is going to evolve because theaters are going to have to adapt to people having gotten used to just watching whatever they can from home because people are going to get comfortable in a very short period of time. We're creatures of habit, right? Yeah. So I'm curious to see where it goes. I do hope that it doesn't die and go away. I, it won't die. No. If anything, the silver lining, which I would love to see, even if, you know, the big studios take a big hit, I would love to see how instrumental rep, rep cinemas were for me. Yep. I would hope that, you know, some smaller independent, you know, yeah. sort of venues would pop up with more curated sort of films and stuff like that for the people, like how Criterion still exists for DVDs and Blu-rays. For that market of people that will still go out and buy it because they want to support. Right. You know, what they're doing. You know, if there was a rep cinema here, I would be going to it like at least once a week. Just seeing whatever was being projected and not giving fucking Cineplex yeah. my money. Like, I hate Cineplex Odeon. I don't go to the movies when they were open as often because I didn't want to give them my money. Right. You know, like they just infuriate me as a company. Uh, so if there was a smaller rep cinema, I'd be there all the time. It would, I, we need churches. Yes. As we were referencing earlier. I agree. 100%. It's, it's a thing where I think it is, it's going to change and uh, that change is going to be a fascinating experience and nobody, the horse in the hospital uh, analogy, I think is perfect. I love John Mulaney just for introducing that metaphor in my life. I've used it so many times. Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of wraps everything up. Uh, Ooh, we did another marathon one. That was a marathon one. That's for sure. So basically going forward here, uh, just like, every episode where we have these discussion-based themes uh, rolling around. If you have any uh, conversational pieces or experiences that you want to share with us, 
We have a glut of social media that you can follow and like and share and you can message us on, actually. So I'll, uh, before I actually barrel into uh, the Silver Screen Anomaly stuff, Hunter, do you want to plug anything? North of Normal. Yeah. Podcast about Canadian cinema. Uh, if you have listened to North of Normal and, again, have an idea and would like to be a guest, uh, you know, I'm booking the next block of recordings and episodes that we're going to be doing. And I'm very excited for some of them. Spencer's back on Tuesday from being at sea. So we already have the next few booked in. Excellent. As to what we're going to do, a few different ones. Uh, you know, because I take not just suggestions, like I want people to come with forward with ideas of Canadian media. Yep. We might be doing some television shows finally. Uh, so... Yeah, we're on Instagram. I always throw out, if you're curious, we always post earlier on uh, what the next episode is going to be. Just if you want to take time to find it, we are on Facebook. Uh, just type in North and Normal Facebook. Yeah. You know, I, I Googled the show the other day and got hits. That's it was awesome. great. Yeah. Just typed in North and Normal Podcast and it's like, there you go. And it brings up the Instagram. Yeah. It brings up the Facebook page. I guess that means people are using it. It's a good feeling. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and obviously this is uh, a bit of a change of pace for us and, uh, we're, uh, we're shorter usual. If you're still listening, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. Cause this is obviously <laughs> something that kind of came out of nowhere as an idea, but, uh, the, uh, make no mistake, the, uh, dynamic duo will return on the next episode. We'll have uh, Hallie back for the next one. We already have an idea of what we're going to cover. So without any further ado, the, Social media presence for us. Uh, if you guys want to follow or like or share or anything. Uh, on Facebook, we're Eldritch Creative. On Instagram, Eldritch.Creative. And Twitter, which I will, for Hallie's benefit, just Eldritch Create. Because uh, we don't put a whole lot of emphasis or time into Twitter. And lastly, if you want to shoot us an email, EldritchCreative at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I look forward to hearing all of your own personal experiences with movie theaters and cinematography experience. Good seeing you. Bye. Good day. Yeah.